You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. The winter meetings. What a freaking winter meetings 2022. Welcome to Rico Bronia. The winter meetings have concluded. And I got to hand it to Major League Baseball. Uh, we had a great winter meetings. We had a lot of action, a lot of rumor, a lot of signings. Uh, I think this was the closest outside of the lockout last year, which was a weird year. The closest we've ever had to MLB feeling like the NBA and feeling like the NFL in terms of the amount of moves made in a short period of time. It doesn't mean we're done with the offseason. There's obviously a lot of questions surrounding the Mets, specifically how they round out this rotation, if they can keep Brandon Nimmo, if they lose Brandon Nimmo, how they replace Brandon Nimmo, and obviously continuing to fill out this bullpen. So it wasn't like we're done which sometimes feels like the case in the NBA, a week in a free agency or the NFL. But we got a lot of action. It obviously started with the sad news, at least what I thought was sad, what Hoff thought was sad, the loss of Jacob deGrom, the quick pivot towards Justin Verlander. And on Wednesday, as the winter meetings ended, obviously all the attention was around Aaron Judge. That was finally settled. Judge staying with the New York Yankees. But a very intriguing day for the Mets. And really... It kind of started Tuesday night because you started to see a couple of arms coming off the board. We'll start with Jamison Tyone. Jamison Tyone was a guy, I have to admit, over the last 48 hours, I talked myself into. I started to say, I think I might like bringing in Jamison Tyone. He's been healthy the last two years for the most part and has been getting better and better. So the thought I had was, you know what? Maybe that's going to continue to progress for him. Obviously, he comes off the board. He signs a big contract with Chicago. As soon as I see the numbers, I say, okay, I'm good. All right. I talked myself into it, but I'm all right moving on. Then you see Taiwan Walker. And I tweeted out there, this sucks. And I want to make clear what I meant by that. I don't think Taiwan Walker is going to come back and kill the Mets. And I think we kind of assume Ty wasn't going to come back. I think the contract he got is fine. Nothing against the money he's getting. Uh, I'm not even a killer of his second halves, which seems to be a very easy talking point for Met fans. I thought we disproved that a little bit during the end of the season on the Rico, that his second half this year was not that bad. He had one horrible start against Atlanta. But if you look at his second half numbers, at least this season, he basically pitched to a high three ERA. He wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. I thought it sucked just because he's going to the Phillies. And even though I think he may struggle in that ballpark, he does not have good career numbers at Citizens Bank Park, I like him. Now, Ty was one of those guys you watch him pitch every five days the last two years, comes across like a likable guy. I don't want to sit there rooting against him, and we do. You know, it's not the Grom, but 
<laughs> he's a likable guy. I'd rather have seen him go to Seattle or go to Texas or go to Anaheim or go to really any random American League city. But I'm not afraid of Taiwan Walker. But he comes off the board, not a surprise. And then as Wednesday begins, and obviously all the attention is around Aaron Judge and Really, the only impact that has on us is that the Yankees are not realistic suitors for Brandon Nemo. I just doubt they're going to be spending that kind of money. Out of nowhere, we get the Quintana signing, which I love. We didn't spend a lot of time talking about Quintana, but I think, Pete, you mentioned him at one point in the last few weeks. And it was quick, so it wasn't something we discussed deep. But I remember telling you, I like Quintana. I I was really impressed. I was going to say turned on, but that's weird. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not even impressed. I was really encouraged by how good he was in the second half of this season. He obviously had a really good year with Pittsburgh and St. Louis. If you look at his overall numbers, he went out, he made just about every start through 170 innings, something like that. But in the second half of the year, after he's traded to St. Louis in the midst of a pennant race, he was utterly brilliant. And I've always had this feeling, it doesn't always work out, where lefties are just late to develop. And I can't say Quintana hasn't developed because remember, for the first five years of his career, when he was with the White Sox, he was one of those guys that you would have had to have given up a small country to acquire. You know, 25-year-old controllable lefty who makes 30 starts a year with those 200 innings a year. And everything sort of changed right around the pandemic because even though he wasn't great, in 2019, he wasn't great in 2018. He still went out and made every start. Every five days, guy went out and made starts. Uh, those two years weren't great after he was traded to the Chicago Cubs. But again, really, really reliable. Uh, in 2020, he barely pitches. In 2021, I can't explain it. I mean, the guy was released. The guy, the guy sucked. He wasn't any good. I think he was dealing with one injury, but for the most part, had a real loss season And 2022, he got back on the ball. But I think his resume, to me at least, is of a guy that I think 19 and 20, or I should say 20 and 21, are outliers. I really do. I mean, the guy's gone out and made 30 starts a lot of times in his career. And he was so good down the stretch. He was good in the postseason. Let's not forget that. I know the Cardinals got eliminated quickly, so it's easy to forget. But he went toe-to-toe with Zach Wheeler in game one of that wild card series. So Quintana was not just good last year. I thought he was great last year. And again, as a lefty, I'm encouraged that the Mets could get a couple of really productive years out of him. And so when they signed him, I looked at the contract. We all did two years, 26 compared it to Taiwan Walker's contract. It's not even close. And I got to tell you right now, I think I prefer Quintana over Walker. It has nothing to do with the contract. A lot of it has to do with the track record. Um, the fact he's a lefty, the fact that he was so good down the stretch, like the opposite of Taiwan Walker, right? Even though I've defended his second half last year, I admit his second half wasn't as good as his first half. Quintana was fine in the first half with the Pirates. Don't get me wrong. He was solid, mid-three ERA. But with St. Louis, he was something else. So if it's a replacement, and I have every reason to believe that it is, I don't think Quintana's replacing Bassett. But if you view it as... Quintana's replacing Taiwan Walker as a back-of-the-rotation guy. You tell me if I'm wrong here, Pete. I think that is a, forget the finances on it, that's a clear upgrade in my opinion. Am I wrong? 
No, you're not wrong. And and a couple things here that you we could have, let's put it this way. A couple of the options that were out there. Um Andrew Heaney for one, who he did sign. He went to this team team that we don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> uh in somewhere in the in the uh, West. But anyway, they um he was someone who I thought Billy Eppler was going to jump all over because of his history with the Angels and someone that we've always heard about stuff. And last year, he kind of found something. And they signed a very similar contract too. So it could have been one of those two guys, very similar contract. However, like you said with Quintana, the guy's got the history. Heaney we saw last year for the first time ever. Quintana has those first years where it wasn't a question. Like, you're right. You said they had to trade a small small uh, country for him. No question. Guy was good. So he's older. You know, I do question now the fact that the top four pitchers are average, what, 37 and a half years old? Right. That is a little that, – that's a little worrisome. But if I had to go with choice and I feel like someone can be reliable down the stretch, I think it's I think Quintana's the guy. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it is there's uncertainty, and I, I still have a little bit of uncertainty about how many pitchers they felt the need to add. And I think we talked about this on the Verlander podcast. Are they just adding someone to replace Chris Bassett, or were they viewing, hey, we're going to replace Bassett, or keep Chris Bassett, obviously, and replace Taiwan Walker? And I threw out the idea of having a six-man rotation, and obviously David Peterson and Tyler McGill are guys you want to factor in. I think we also have to consider that if they're going to add another starter, and they clearly are, that they may trade one of the starting pitchers that they have. And there's really only three options. Carlos Carrasco, and I don't think it's crazy to trade him. You know, it's a very affordable one-year deal. But again, if the Mets are looking to, and I don't want to say save money because it makes it seem like they're the Wilpons. They're not. Their payroll is touching $300 million. But if they're looking to save money in one area, you could absolutely think of the idea of, hey, let's trade Carlos Carrasco on a one-year $15 million deal. You could also trade David Peterson, which I am not a fan of because I don't think we've seen the best of him. Same thing with Tyler McGill. But their aggressiveness in adding starters makes me think that one of those three guys, probably Carrasco, but you can't rule out Peterson, who probably has good value, could be on the trade market. Because here's where they are right now. They've replaced Taiwan Walker with Jose Quintana. They have replaced Jacob deGrom with Justin Verlander. They obviously still have Carrasco on the roster. They still have Scherzer on the roster. So it leads towards if they're replacing Bassett or keeping Bassett, and I think they are, Cody Senga will get more into him in a second, but they're also still looking at a guy like Ross Stripling. That makes me think they may go six-man, sure. They may just say, we need as much depth as possible, but it also could lead to trading Carrasco or Peterson or McGill. I think right now, when you look at this rotation, which is going to be the strength of this team going on paper, needs to be the strength of this team, is the thing that would make it a contender, the idea that Verlander and Scherzer could at least for one more year give you dominance as Hall of Fame aces. They have to replace Chris Bassett. Quintana wasn't signed to replace Chris Bassett. He wasn't signed to be a third starter. They don't view Carrasco as a third starter. So even though I think sometimes calling a guy a third starter or a fourth starter or number two is kind of overrated for the sake of an off season discussion. It's not because you're trying to frame out how your rotation kind of looks. They're going to sign a third starter. Chris Bassett and re-signing him is not the worst thing in the world. 
especially when you look back at how reliable he's been over the last three seasons to in Oakland, obviously this last year with the Mets. I've grown to just forget about the comments he made. I just, the more I think about it, I think he was trying to be honest about his feelings towards New York. I don't think they were next necessarily negative. They came across clunky. They came across kind of out of touch, but I don't think it's a sign that he can't pitch here. I don't necessarily think that him struggling against the Padres in that wild card game means, wow, he can't just handle New York. So I'm looking more at the reliability of Chris Bassett. I think he's a reliable guy. Look at the last three years. With that said, my preference remains Kode Senga. Kode Senga would make this rotation, and I think it balances itself well if they get Senga, but the appeal of him is the mystery of how good he can be. While Bassett may be the safer choice, and he is, based on the last three years, Senga's the sexier choice. He's the sexier choice because he could be better. Because there's not a wild scenario where Kode Senga becomes the best pitcher on this team. Now, obviously, I'm not comparing his potential resume to Scherzer and Verlander. I'm just saying at 30, because he's a lot younger, coming over to America where hitters are seeing him for the first time, with a 101-mile-an-hour pitch and this, what's that nickname he has for his pitch? I forget it. The, uh, <laughs> I forgot. He's got I some cool no nickname. The ghost pitch, I think. The ghost ball. Ghost ball, that was it. <laughs> he could be great. Like, I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, that's the appealing part about him. He could be brilliant. He could be better than a number three. So I'm intrigued by him now. The floor on him is going to be a lot lower because he's coming over from Japan, because there's questions of if he has a third or fourth pitch, could he actually get through hitters a third time around the order and be effective and be a dominant starting pitcher in America? There's uncertainty to that. So I do think Bassett's the safer choice, but Senga gives you that bigger reward. And because you have Quintana, who I'd feel comfortable with, and assuming you have Carrasco, who you'd feel comfortable with, And you got two old aces. You hope they can stay somewhat healthy. But like we talked about last time, could they actually be less healthy than Scherzer and DeGrom from a year ago? I hope not, because they barely pitched when you add up the amount of starts made by those two. I think it allows you to be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more riskier. And so my choice as I sit here today, wrapping up the winter meetings, is Kode Senga with Chris Bassett as my backup plan. So you said something which is oddly weird to me because I don't see it this way. What? You say Chris Bassett's the safer bet. Yes. Now, first of all, we both can agree Chris, Chris Bassett's probably going to earn himself a closer to – he's going to fall in somewhere between a Walker and a Carlos Rodon type contract, which I'm saying is about five years. Yeah. That's fair to say. I think he's going to make, to your point, more than what Walker and Tyone recently got. Yes, I agree. Right. So to me, unless there's like a third-year club option where we could just say, uh, get out of here, that's not a safe bet because you're now going someone who's 34 years old already, thirty going to be 35, I don't, something around those lines, where you're going five years with the older guy again. Senga has that five year, like if it's a five year deal you make with them, you're there with a, a. If he's good, it's a prime five years. And like you said, the guy, his ceiling is higher. Plus, the pressure's not on him. You have two aces 
ahead of him. We could we could make fun of the fact that Scherzer's 37 or 38 and Verlander's 40. It doesn't make a difference. They still are aces. They're professionals. You're not going to sit there and and, so, and and you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I want to. Here's what I counter on the Bassett age thing because obviously he's not young. He's 33 years old, but. He's going to be 34 before the season starts. So for the sake of this, he's a 34-year-old starting pitcher, and you may be right that he gets a five-year deal. I don't think that's crazy. 34, 35, 36, 37, 38. You have him signed till he's 38. Completely fair. I think sometimes we get too caught up in how old a guy is and not, well, how many innings has he thrown? And I always made that point about DeGrom uh, when we were arguing, not us, not you and I, but arguing on the fan about the first extension that he got. Because there was a lot of concern. Wow, look how old he is. How many years do you want to give him? And the argument I always made about Jake is he hasn't thrown a lot of innings. So, yeah, he's older, but let's look at the wear and tear on the uh, on the mileage, if you will. It's like, uh, look at the mileage. Chris Bassett has thrown 737 major league innings. That is not a big number. So he almost has the mileage of a guy who's 28, you know? So... I view him a little bit differently. It doesn't mean I want to give him a five-year deal. I understand the risks around that. And I agree with what you said. I said it before. I think Senga does have the the kind of the higher reward. But I do think Chris Bassett, since 2020, over the last 68 starts, going back to 2020, because I know 2020 isn't a full season, but he basically pitched the entire 21 season and pitched all of last year. So we've got two and a half years, a little less than two and a half years as a sample size of Chris Bassett. He's been really good. Like, it isn't up and down. It isn't this year was good, this year was bad. He's legitimately been really good for three consecutive years. And he's one of those guys who didn't become a regular every five-day rotation member until he was 30. So I I wouldn't want to give him a five-year deal. I get why that's not appealing. I also like the flexibility. But you're going to have to give Kode Senga a five-year deal. And Senga hasn't thrown, he's actually thrown a lot more innings than Chris Bassett when you think about the mileage on one's arm. So that's my defensive Bassett as a backup plan. And that, yes, he's 34, but we do have to factor he just hasn't thrown that many innings in his major league career. Right, which is partly why, again, you were saying DeGrom at this age is different than some other 34 year old. But listen, that bygones be bygones. But, but by the way, to keep, keep this in mind, let me just give you this number. Kode Senga, and this isn't completely fair, so I'll try to make it fair in a second, but Kode Senga became a, you know, a Japanese professional baseball pitcher when he was 19 years old. He has thrown, you ready for this? 1,300 innings in his career. Almost double Bassett. Yeah. Now, I have to include Bassett's minor league innings just to be fair about that. Like, I can't just give you 630 and call it a day. So it's a little bit higher. But Senga's 29. So he's five years younger, but the mileage on his arm, far different than Chris Bassett. So my big concern right now, and we're talking about like, you know, Bassett as we're not making it. We're still going Senga over Bassett, the two of of us. And I like that. But the issue that I'm having here is say if Senga is too expensive, we don't want to go that route. So we'll go, we'll defer to Bassett, feel comfortable. I don't know the direction of my ball club because now you have five guys, unless you trade Carrasco, that are in their mid to late 30s most of them with small contracts, what is the bull, What is the rotation going to look like in two years from now, three years from now? I, that, I'm not worried. 
Don't be worried about that. I'll tell you why. Um, Steve Cohen is, I think, proving to us he's going to spend a lot of money. Now, we may want him to buy different guys. That's always going to be a debate. I totally get that. But what they did with Verlander and still have with Scherzer and would have with Carrasco if he's back and have with Quintana because it's only a two-year deal is they have everything coming off the books in two years. Their rotation is going to look different. I'm not arguing that. But they're going to have money to spend. They're just going to buy new pitchers. I mean, in the meantime, you hope you're going to develop some arms. It's it's not sustainable, or you're going to have just a $500 million payroll to not develop your own guys and have guys that are really good that aren't making a lot of money, kind of like most of the Astro rotation. But in the short term, you ride Verlander for, for two years, hoping he still has a lot left, hoping. You ride Scherzer for maybe one year, because he always could opt out. You've got Quintana. You've got Carrasco. We'll see about Bassett or Senga, but I can't worry about two years because two years from now, they're going to have $84 million cleared just by Scherzer and Verlander not being here. And they're going to reinvest it. As I've told you, there's a lot of really appealing pitchers that are Fury agents, not just next year, but the year after that and the year after that. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based channel championship team. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. In the meantime, though, and this is why I push for Peterson to get a shot this year, even if it means it's a six-man rotation, you got to see what you have because you need to develop some guys. That's going to be important to do over the next couple of years. No, I I agree, and that's why like I'm, I know it's, uh, we haven't touched the Brooks Rally trade yet, which I think is a, was good, uh, but again, like we're giving away – a young guy that listen, he's going to be, he's not hitting the majors for another five years, probably, but I need to develop our, our I know you just thought to Joe, but I don't look at this farm system as anything special right now. And the, to you can't, everyone's talking about, Oh, we'll go trade for this guy, trade for that guy, go trade for Shohei Otani. I'm like, with what aren't they? Well, if they, they trade for Otani, the problem with trading for Otani, which is why you shouldn't probably is you have to give up guys that you're going to rely on to contribute this year. Cause the Mets prospects that have a lot of value are guys that are ready, you know, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, guys like that. But I don't think you could worry about that right now because first of all, the Mets aren't making trades in which they're dealing their top prospects. That's why 
And we'll get to Nimmo in a little bit. Why overpaying for Nimmo may be a necessity because you're not in position to then trade prospects for Brian Reynolds, as good of a player as Brian Reynolds is. But in terms of this rotation, I think this rotation is built, and I sort of like it this way, with just a lot of flexibility. Yeah, it's old. I mean, there'll be a lot of jokes made about how old this rotation is, and maybe it's the thing that kills us this year. I I can't predict what's going to happen come October or even before that, but this rotation is a temporary rotation. And Peterson and McGill are important because if you could develop them into reliable starting pitchers a year from now, two years from now, you're not looking to fill out a whole rotation in free agency. Right now, the Mets are set up to have a lot of depth. If you think about what's currently in this rotation, you have Scherzer, you have Verlander, you have Carrasco, assuming they don't trade him, and I think they could. You have Quintana, you have Peterson, you have McGill. That's six guys who I can make an argument should be in the rotation. That doesn't include Joey LaCasey, who's a depth guy, and Elias Hernandez, who's another depth guy. Plus, they're going to add a starter. It's pretty obvious that they're going to add a third starter. Now, is it a surprise trade, kind of like them acquiring Chris Bassett before last year? It's possible. I doubt it. I think they'll sign either Senga or Bassett, and I hope it's Senga. So I think going into this season, and the Mets haven't always had this, they're actually going to have a lot of pitching depth. How they deploy it will be fascinating. Like, do you go to McGill and say, you're a reliever? We're turning you to a seventh inning guy? Hey, Mets have to fill out a bullpen. Maybe they're viewing McGill more as a reliever. I don't think they're doing that with Peterson. I think Peterson was so valuable last year as a swing guy, but I always viewed him as more than that this year, as a guy that should be in the rotation. So I like the way the rotation is being set up. I mean, again, think about this in simple terms. Scherzer's back. You hope he makes more starts. Carrasco's back, assuming they don't trade him. You hope he just gives you what he gave you last year. You've replaced Walker with Quintana, and you're going to replace DeGrom with Verlander. And as much as I didn't want to do it, for the sake of comparing last year to this year, Jacob DeGrom didn't pitch a lot. So, if again, I'm not, this is not a defense of the pivot from DeGrom to Verlander. I made my point very clear about that. The bar of what DeGrom gave you last year is not high. So... That's an upgrade in terms of what DeGrom gave you last year and what you hope Verlander is going to give you this year. And then you've got replacing Bassett, whether it's with him himself or with someone else. So I think the rotation is in a good spot. I hope they get Senga. I'd be disappointed if they don't and they end up with Ross Stripling or Trevor Williams. Like you want someone who you at least for now can pencil in as your third guy. And the two that jump out at me to fit that because I assume Carlos Rodon is out. I don't even bring him up. I just don't think they're going to make that kind of investment. The two guys that jump out at me would be Senga and would be Bassett. Now, as far as the Brooks-Raleigh trade is concerned, here's why that's a no-brainer. Without knowing that much about Keyshawn Askew, Keyshawn Askew, the guy they traded, is a side-arming lefty. Now, I'm going to stereotype for a second. If you're a side-arming lefty, what is your role in a best-case scenario at the major league level? A lefty specialist, right? I mean, that's pretty fair to say. A skew is a lefty specialist, possibly. That's what you think he can be four years from now. They acquired a lefty specialist. You know, lefty specialists, I know it's different these days because of the three-batter minimum, but they still have value. The Mets had none of that last year. 
So they traded a guy who they think could be a lefty specialist five years from now for a guy who's a proven lefty specialist, right? That's what Brooks Raleigh is. Now, go deeper into Brooks Raleigh's numbers. Because when you go on baseball reference and you pull it up, here's what you're going to notice. You're going to look like I do. I still do it to this day. I know I shouldn't. I look right at his ERA. I look right at it. And I say, okay, let me see what Brooks Raleigh did last year. Oh, 2.68. That's great. Oh, that's fantastic. 53 innings. Uh, he struck out 10 guys per nine. Walked two and a half. Fantastic. He was amazing. And you're happy. Then you look at 2021 with Houston, and you see a 4.780 ERA. And you say, ah, oh, he sucked. What happened to him? ERAs for relievers are very, very misleading. So you got to look a little deeper. Strikeout per nine, oh, was pretty high. Walks were a little bit higher. His home runs were a little bit higher. But here's what Brooks Raleigh did in 2021 that he did in 2022, that he did in 2020, and he didn't even pitch that much. Nobody did. And even what he did before that, when he's pitching in the KBO, you know what Brooks Raleigh consistently does? Like, really well. Same as 2022 as 2021. Because, again, it's easy to say he had a better year in 2022 than 2021. Sure, overall he did. But there's something he did in both years at an elite level. And you know what that is? He got lefties out. He got soft contact. But he got lefties out. Even in a season like 2021 where the numbers you look at don't look nearly as good. He gave up double double the amount of home runs. He got hit more. Uh, he's walking more guys like those numbers don't look good. But when you go deeper, you see, wow, that freaking guy was good at getting lefties out, even in a year like that. So if you're deployed the right way and you do something really, really good, which Brooks Raleigh does, he gets lefties out and you're deployed in a smart way and your manager puts you in the best position to succeed And you've proven your entire career, brief career, but your entire career, you're freaking good at getting lefties out, then I'm happy. Look, are there going to be situations where he's not just facing Kyle Schwarber, but now he's got to get Reese Hoskins out? Sure. And maybe that'll backfire. That's why it's so important, especially with the three batter minimum of the manager finding that right spot to use him. But what Brooks Raleigh is, is he's a guy who gets lefties out. What an effing concept because the Met bullpen didn't have that last year. Joely Rodriguez was not that guy. Adam Adovino was amazing against righties. You know what's crazy about Adovino? He had a really good year last year. We're all happy with it. He wasn't good at getting lefties out. He was forced to have to face lefties because they didn't have a lefty specialist. So again, it's not easy because of the three batter minimum. I, I get that. We're in a different world. But here's what the New York Mets did. Forget his ERA. Forget what he did in 21. Forget what he did in 2022. Here's the one constant that you should feel good about. This some bitch gets lefties out. And the New York Mets share a division with Kyle Schwarber. They share a division with Bryce Harper. They share a division with Matt Olson. They don't share a division anymore with Juan Soto. Thank God. Ugh. I was so used to bringing his name up in these discussions. <laughs> hey, they may in two years. Who the hell knows? the way the Phillies are spending. But I love that trade because I really thought that they needed to add a guy who fits that, like a guy who gets lefties out. And I, and I think that guys like that, it really is important for the manager 
in Buck Showalter, our manager, to use him correctly. It's important. And that's what we'll be watching all year. But I think their bullpen, which still has a lot of work to do, needed this. They needed a guy who at an elite level gets lefties out. And to use a thing that I read, because I still haven't figured really how to use a stat cast out. I try to, but I get so confused sometimes. I read that uh, Brooks Raleigh is rated in the 98th percentile in hard hit rate. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know what that means. My dad may be listening. I don't know what that means. It's actually something we probably talked about 30 years from now. We just referred to it differently. <laughs> he gets guys to not hit the ball hard. That's it. It's Some of these stats are things we've always talked about. Like Brooks Raleigh is really good at getting lefties out and getting guys to not hit the baseball hard. Like Greg Maddox, basically. I'm not saying he's Greg Maddox, but you get my point. Can they so, call it soft contact? Make it easier for us to understand? <laughs> Barrel percentage? You want to call it something? Yeah, we could call it something else. It's funny, like war, which is a stat I've always hated. War is something we've always talked about. You know, like, for example, in talking about Aaron Judge, and I'm sure you've thought this too, Pete, like, wow, Aaron Judge isn't on the Yankees last year. They don't make the playoffs. Like, I thought that. I think you thought that. Well, that's what war's for. How many wins did he add to the team? <laughs> now, I don't think it's accurate, but I like the idea of it at least. So yeah, I approve I, I, the Brooks Raleigh trade. Go ahead. Aaron, Aaron Judge single-handedly had like 30 wins for the Yankees last year, which is why the Giants were in on him so much. They won 81 <laughs> games last year. They would have won 111 games. You know what I, I mean? Think, I don't think you're crazy. Like, I think that war is underappreciated sometimes. I think, I watched Aaron Judge play every game last year. His war should have been like a 25. Well, and, and listen, I don't want to go into this, this, this hole right now, but we talk about Pete Alonso. His war is crap. And I'm like, what are you looking at? What he does on the field is so underrated. No one looks yeah. at his first base glove at all. His fielding, they think he's just crappy because he's a little herky-jerky, and he's not uh, Anthony Rizzo. I'm sorry. He's a good first baseman, and he wins with with the bat, too. His war should not be, what, 2.6 or whatever the hell it is? Yeah, it's that's why I don't hate the idea of war. I hate the way it's executed. That's what I would say. I almost think it needs to be like pro football focus where it's just rated. <laughs> We're not even looking at stats. We got just guys watching games saying, I give him a 70. I give him a 90. That's basically pro football focus. Uh, the other move on the busiest of busy winter meetings days was that the New York Mets said to themselves, you know what we should do? We should steal a pitcher from the New York Yankees in the Rule 5 draft and hope that it's Garrett Whitlock all over again. Garrett Whitlock, who has turned into a really good reliever, now a starter for the Boston Red Sox, was a Rule 5 pick because to the Yankees' credit, they've over the years, had a lot of guys, a lot of young pitchers specifically, that they just can't hold on to because of roster crunch numbers. So the Mets drafted Zach Green from the Yankees in the Rule 5 draft. And I think you guys know the rules of the Rule 5 draft. Basically, Zach Green has to make the team or go on the injured list, you know, which is a nice, easy way out. He's got to make the team. And if he doesn't make the team or they send him down at some point, he gets offered back to the New York Yankees. So when you claim a guy on the Rule 5 draft, and there isn't a long list of successes in Met history. Like off the top of my head, I think of two guys. And they're not even that recent. One is Darren O'Day, 
The Mets claimed Aaron O'Day about a decade ago, and he pitched maybe an inning, got everybody out, and then there was a roster crunch issue. Swear to God, the Mets couldn't keep him on the roster, so they offered him back to, I think, Texas at the time. And Darren O'Day went on and had, you know, he's still pitching, like a really good career. And it sucked. And I can't remember who, somebody who listens to the Rico is going to know this answer. There was some random player the Mets wanted to put on the roster. And to make it work, they had to offer back Darren O'Day. And I don't even know who the guy is. It's like Mike Jacobs or something. And that's what cost them Darren O'Day. So he wasn't even a success in Met history. But he's a guy I remember because he went on and had such a good career. And I even had him on a Saturday show once to say, Darren, do you realize you have the lowest ERA in Met history? And he got a real kick out of it because he likes having a zero ERA. Who wouldn't? And then the other guys long before that. Um, I, I know that. Who was it? Wayne Garrett, way back when, before my time, was a rule five pick. So he's probably the most successful in Met history. But in my era, uh, Kelly Stinnett, the backup catcher. I think was a rule five guy. So there isn't a long list of successes by any stretch. Brad Emus was a guy we all convinced ourselves would be the next Dan Ugla. Second baseman with power was claimed early on in the Sandy Alderson era. Well, why not with Zach Green? He had pretty good numbers at AAA. He's got a wicked slider, as someone described it to me. So we'll see him in spring training. He'll have a chance to make this team, uh, especially now with a 26-man roster. You're usually carrying eight or nine bullpen arms. So we'll see if Zach Green could be that guy. The other thing from the Rule 5 draft is that they did not lose Jake Mangum. And that could be a really important thing. I have breaking news for you. Go ahead. They did lose him. They finished the trade to the Marlins, and that was the piece they gave back. They just they did it about nine minutes ago. Oh, I apologize. So they did lose Jake Mangum. What they was the just, trade yeah. with the Marlins? What, what do you mean what the, trade with the Marlins? El- Elizair Hernandez trade, Eliza Hernandez. Ah, Gotcha. So I guess there was a player be, to return later or whatever. And it happened to be Jake Mangum. So there you go. All right. So take out everything I was about to say, which was, hey, they may need him if they lose Brandon Immo to play defense in center field. Okay. F- See ya. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you got that in because the, the worry we always have when we record these Ricos is that we record it. And then as soon as it's over, like there's huge breaking news. And look, there's only so much you could do about that. Yeah. If there is, there is. I'm glad, though, you got that huge breaking news in that Jake Mangum isn't with the Mets anymore. Save this a good five minutes there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, hey, they got to sign Kevin Kiermeyer, basically. Because that's how I view Kevin Kiermeyer if the Mets lose Nimmo. Kevin Kiermeyer is Jake Mangum. He's a fourth outfielder who plays really good defense. That's basic. That's, that's literally how I view Kiermeyer. Otherwise, I don't want him every day as a center fielder. As far Can as I- Nimmo, yeah, go ahead. Okay, because this is something that is concerning me. You told me not to be concerned about the pitching rotation. Don't worry about what's going to happen in two years. But I look at this roster right now, and we're talking about, like, if Brendan Nimmo doesn't come back, what are they going to do? You bring Kermeyer in, he's going to be there for, what, like another year or two contract type of thing. They literally, besides Lindor, there is no one on this team in, like, four or five years. Like, I don't what, – what is the no. plan of action? That's not true. I mean, there's no yes. player on this team in Besi- four or five besides years. Besides Francisco Alvarez, besides Brett Beatty, and again, if they traded for Otani, I'm expecting those guys not to be here. Like they literally, for as far as this roster that's currently constructed, no one's on this team in four years. Like no, Marte's no, contract's but done. Position player wise, I completely disagree with you. I think pitching wise, yeah, there's going to be a lot of turnover, but 
The hope is Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil are here long-term. They're both free agents at the end of not this upcoming season, but the year after that. Lindor's here for 150 years. Brett Beatty will hopefully become the everyday third baseman. Francisco Alvarez will become hopefully the everyday catcher. Uh, Marte's here for three more years. He's going to get older, but he's going to be here. He signed. We'll get to Nimmo in a second. Alex Ramirez is probably a couple of years away as a top prospect. Ronnie Mauricio probably becomes an outfielder. Position player-wise, I don't think there's going to be a lot of turnover. Like, I do think that they've got a core of guys. Um, But the Nimmo thing is complicated because they don't have – I don't know if Alex Ramirez – I think uh, when we had Joe DeMeo on, he thinks he can project as a center fielder in a few years. But that's a few years from now. If they lose Brandon Nimmo, I don't know how they competently fill that position for the next couple of years. So that's a fair point. Like, I understand that. Center field could be a big issue. But I do think their infield has a chance to be set for a very long time between Beatty, assuming he becomes what we hope he is, Lindor, McNeil, and Alonzo. Like, I don't think there's turnover there. And Mauricio will see if they end up trading him or move him to the outfield or move him to third base and Beatty becomes a DH. So position player-wise, I I actually disagree with you. I think pitching-wise, yeah, there's going to be a lot of turnover. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But why the hell would you worry about that now? They're set for this year. Well, because I, I'm not really happy with the direction of the team this year. I think that they may – here, you tell me where I'm wrong. And that's, I'm probably am, and that's okay. Last year, what do we beg for them to do? The team was in a little bit of a cusp. They, 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 had, they were fantastic to start the season off. They, they fell a little flat. We were begging them to bring up the, the, the young – prospects that we were dying to see it took them three months to do it and at that point in time we all agreed it was too late now you have a fresh start you could add to this team make this team better just by bringing in free agents not trading away pieces and it's like well we have these prospects that we need to see don't you think rather than put them at the front of the fire to start the season it's almost like give some other cushions just in case they don't do well 
just in case this team isn't as good. Last year... Well, if you, uh, well, are you talking about Trey Turner and Carlos Correa and Aaron Judge? Because they were never going to spend $30 million on a player right now. They're just not because of, A, where their payroll currently is, and B, what I think they're planning on doing in the future. I mean, they have a $300 million payroll. Like, I know you like Trey Turner. I, I We all do. He's a hell of a baseball player. They were never going to spend, and maybe we were wrong to even think it, that kind of money. They've already spent a ton of money. Well, again, it's not uh, it, take away Turner, take away Judge. Those were pipe dreams. I, and listen, the, the free agency class, we all agree, is not terribly sexy unless you're trying to get a shortstop. So we, unless you convince one of these guys to go play third base for a little bit or you know, whatever, you could spell second, someone at second base, whatever the case is, you, there's no really good pieces to add to this roster besides Nimmo. And to me, that's just you're you're taking a step backwards rather than well, going okay, to be let, let, taking front forward. Stick with Nemo before we move on to what else they should have done. Because the offseason isn't over yet also. I mean, there's a lot of things they still may do. Just not, excuse me, that was a burp, on a major level. But the right. Nemo issue is a big one. Because I don't know how you go about replacing him. And that's why the Mets are in a really, really tough spot where they may have to give in and give him a contract that they're going to deem stupid. Like one thing I'm learning about Steve Cohen, it's only his third off season as owner. Yeah. Is he's a businessman. Like, and there's some bad to that. And there's some really good to that. The bad to that was the way DeGrom was treated. They treated Jacob DeGrom like cold hearted businessmen. That's what they did. They basically said, you haven't been healthy the last few years. It's not good business to give you a four or five year or to even entertain the idea of a four or five year deal. They didn't give a crap about the heartstrings business wise. They thought, you know what? Verlander on a two year deal is better. That's what they thought. So they are, and there's good and there's bad to it. Businessmen. And I wonder if when they look at Nimmo's final contract that he's going to have to get with Boris as his agent and him being the clear best outfielder available once Aaron judge signed, which he did, if the Mets are going to have the stomach to do something that they know as soon as they sign is a bad business move. And I get it. Like, I like Brandon Nimmo. I also know what he isn't. And what he isn't is a guy that should get $150 million. But the problem is, and this is the thing they're going to have to weigh, is is it worth making a decision that you know is a bad business move, that you know is a bad contract, because that's still better than the alternative. Because the alternative is what? You're not trading for Brian Reynolds. It's going to cost too much in prospects. Throw that one out. So what's your Andrew Benintendi? Stop. That's not a good backup plan. So oh, I know. It's they terrible. have to keep him. They're in a, they have put themselves in a spot where they've got to hand Nimmo a bad contract. They have to. And, and that sucks because now you're talking about this is, oh, well, the, you can't spend on, on everybody. So you're going to give Nimmo a bad contract, but you could have gotten better contracts. You, they, you could have handed out more money to better people, better superstars. And it's like you have to weigh out the good and the bad. Now, listen, am I saying Nimmo shouldn't be on this team? No, I'm not saying that. But, my God, I, we're not taking a step forward at all. And that, to me, is scary because well, I've seen teams. I've seen teams be complacent which is basically what the Mets are being no, right now. It's not complacent. Being very complacent. It's not complacent. Here's the problem the Mets ran into. The Mets had an offseason in which their leadoff hitter and engine to the offense was a free agent, Brandon Nemo. 
the best pitcher in forever was a free agent and the best closer in baseball was a free agent. So they went into an off season having to play defense. Let, let's be perfectly honest. Like they went into an off season before you talk about, okay, they won 101 games. How do you get better? Which is a great think thought to have, right? We all think it. How do you get better? 101 wins. How do you become a better team? They went into an off season needing to maintain Think about it. The first thing they had to do was maintain the closer who put together the most dominant season we've seen in a long time, which they did. Credit to them. They don't want to play the game with the dominant homegrown pitcher, so they lose him and immediately pivot and replace him in a way in which we all agree. As much as I didn't want to lose him, they replaced him in, to me, the best way possible. It was expensive as all hell, but short-term, big-arm, Cy Young from last year, legendary pitcher. They pivoted, right? So they're playing defense. Think about what their offseason's been. Maintain the closer defense. Pivot from the pitcher they lost, defense. Lose Taiwan Walker, sign Quintana. I think it's an upgrade. Defense. Nimmo, it's all defense. Like, if they re-sign Brandon Nimmo and they sign Kode Senga, which is right now the dream Met fans have, all they've done in a lot of ways is play defense. They brought back Nimmo. They replaced Bassett with Senga. You hope he's better, but you're also pretty happy if he's just as good because Bassett was really good last year. So, and by the way, after doing all of that, their payroll will be $340 million. And that's not complacency. That's defense. That's how do we maintain the guys that helped us win 101 games? That's why improving is going to come from within. That's where the improving comes. It wasn't going to come by let's maintain all our guys and let's go add some more. How is that going to happen? It's a lot of ifs, though, because now we're saying, and first of all, just, and I'm not trying to get too far ahead, but if we're talking about Alonzo and McNeil, the way that they're talking about Nimmo and, and DeGrom, they're not re-signing them until they have to re-sign them. So it means free agency is a possibility. I agree. Which that's, a, that's a scary thing. We just Sucks. talked about Yes, yep. okay? But you're talking about if Alvarez is what we think he is, if Beatty is what we think he is, if these starting pitchers, these old starting pitchers can stay healthy, there's a lot of ifs. It brings back a lot of bad memories about a lot of iffy teams with the nah. Mets. It's nothing like that, though. Like, yes, there are ifs. Every baseball team has ifs. You cannot build a team unless some of your top prospects become really good. Look at the Braves. If your prospects flame out, look at the Yankees. What's been the biggest issue with the Yankees over the last five years? They can't grow pitching. What was that? They can't grow pitching. They can't grow pitching. I think it's more than growing pitching. I think it's growing position players. I think it's... Glaber Torres's development. I think it was Gary Sanchez's development. I think a lot of it was development. So Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez, who have a chance, by the way, to like go head to head for rookie of the year, right? That's the dream. That's what Atlanta was able to get from Michael Harris and Spencer Strider, right? Two rookies going head to head. That's how you become a great team. And so that's not the same as the era of the past. The era of the past didn't rely on top-line prospects as the ifs. They relied on crap players as the if. And that's not it. So I think sometimes it's difficult when you win 101 games and you've got key free agents to not only maintain all of those guys, but then get 10 times better on paper. Like, the key to the New York Mets next year, and I know this is boring to hear, I apologize, but it's the reality. 
the key to the New York Mets next year are going to be those young players we talked about. And if they don't develop, then yes, this offense will be something we complain about. And at the trade deadline, there'll be a lot of pressure to go out and not just make a move, but a big move. But if Beatty and Alvarez and throwing Vientos and throwing Mauricio, who could have an impact at some point this season, if they contribute the way the Braves young players contributed, then the Mets got better. But to get better on paper was always going to be impossible because this entire offseason was built on the idea of playing defense. Their entire bullpen was free agents. The majority of the rotation were free agents. The center fielder is still a free agent. Like, they had to maintain those guys. Otherwise, we were going to go nuts. Like, if they lose Nimmo, look at that. If they lose Nimmo, they didn't successfully play defense in center field. They don't get to pivot from Nimmo to somebody on his level the way the Mets did with DeGrom to Verlander. Just, it's just very, again, there's a lot of ifs you said there. And I'll take it away. Listen, every team has ifs. I'm just not. Last year, some reason last year, I walked into 2022 going, wow, first time in a long time I could say, I am confident and comfortable with this roster they put together. Who were free agents last year from the Met roster going into the 2022 season? Think about that. Who who they have to maintain? What key players did they have to keep? And well, true. Well, they okay. They brought in. You're right. They didn't have to maintain anybody. That's the problem. And they were already there, but they didn't even bring in these like Escobar, Stalin Marte, and Canna were not these over the top like you know, MVP type players, but they filled roles. You bring they them won, in on top but, of. But Hoff, they were building off a team that won 78 games. Now they're building off a team that won 101 games. Like the Mets don't need, but the Mets don't need a renaissance <laughs> after did winning 101 games. Did you ever hear regression? That's a concern. That's a concern. I'm sorry. Of, co- like of, of can- course. But you can't expect you can't have the same expectations of an offseason when you're coming off a 78 win season as the expectations of a team winning 101 games. And by the way, I'll make this clear right now. I don't think the Mets are going to win 101 games. And that may be okay because most years you can win 92 games and win your division. Like, think about it. The Mets could go back. You talk about regress. They could regress eight games in the standings. And they would still win 93 games, which on most planets win you a division or a wild card. So I'd love to see them win 101 games, but that doesn't have to be the number they hit. The number they have to hit is winning the division and winning more games than the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies. And by the way, the Philadelphia Phillies, who everybody wants to blow now, okay, they won 87 games last year. Like, I get they got hot in the playoffs, but now they're being talked about like they're unbeatable. They won 87 games. They're going to miss Bryce Harper for half the year. You bet your ass they need a Trey Turner. Like, do you think the Phillies of two weeks, the one that got hot, you think that's the real Phillies? Or do you think it's the one that won 87 games? You tell me. Because based on the way people talk, I would think it's the two weeks Phillies that are real. It's more than two weeks, though. Don't don't be naive about that. They were a second half team. They they since they Dude, got they rid choked of- away a playoff spot in the final month. They begged the Brewers to make the postseason. They said, "Please take it from us," and the Brewers didn't. So let's not act they, like they were. They did, but what was their record? What was their record when Joe Girardi got fired? No, no, they got hot in the second half. Like you're right, but in the final few weeks of that season, 
They tried to give away a playoff spot. Yeah, they played a lot better. They fired the manager. They played a lot better. Absolutely. But they also tried to give away a freaking playoff spot in the final few weeks. That's true. They And they didn't do it. We were successful. We gave away the division. Ah, uh, but it's different. I mean, come on. They playoff <laughs> spot versus a team I, that was already going to make know. the playoffs. Look, the Phillies are talked about like they're a 98-win team. We'll see. Look, they're going to miss Bryce Harper for, for a half. That's a big blow. I think Trey Turner's awesome. I think Castellanos will have a better year. Like, I'm not talking about the Phillies as if I think they're crap. I don't think they're crap. I just think they've been very overrated the way people have talked about them over the last few weeks because they're forgetting that they were an 87-win team. They're looking more at the two-week hot streak than the 87 wins. But, look, the point is here, the Mets are in a tricky spot with Nemo. They they really are because the – other than a surprise trade none of us see coming, there is not a good backup plan. You know, Andrew Benintendi is not a good backup plan. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer is not a good backup plan. Look, their best backup plan, and trust me, this is going to drive you nuts. Like, you are going to hate this idea. But I have to be honest. Their best backup plan is is that 22-year-old kid, Alec Thomas, who plays great defense with the Arizona Diamondbacks because he's 22 years old, and maybe he's got an upside. And their other backup plan is the other center fielder they have, that Jake McCarthy. Like, those are two guys, different kind of players. McCarthy's more of a hitter. Uh, What's his name? Thomas is more of a defensive player. But those would be the better center field backup plans. And by the way, that's not a great backup plan. Like, I'm just giving you ideas. It doesn't mean I like it. So. I think Steve Cohen and Billy Epler may have to hold their nose and say, look, if we're going to overpay a guy to a contract that we know is bad, is let it, you may as well let it be a guy who, A, we like, B, we don't think we're going to let the money get to his head, and see a guy the fans love. So I implore the Mets right now, even though I get why they don't love the contract, they got to find a way to make a deal for Brandon Nemo because then the likes of the world like Pete Hoffman are going to say the Mets got worse. If they keep Nemo, and we mentioned the Verlander pivot and keeping Diaz and what they've done in the rotation, hopefully it's Senga, I think you could absolutely make an argument the Mets maintain. But if you lose Brandon Nemo, you didn't maintain. And I do think they're going to add another bat, by the way. Like, I don't think it's a big one. I don't think it's Carlos Correa. It may be Trey Mancini. It may be J.D. Martinez. But I do think they are going to add another bat that sort of fits that DH role. So they're not done. It's December. Well, let me tell you something. I'm at least happy about the Alec Thomas because I was very concerned that you said where the backup was going to be bringing up Michael Conforto, and that scares me. <laughs> no, no, we no. got we had to. I think we have a whole podcast about bad guy, bad players we brought back to the Mets. Didn't we do that yet, or is that coming up? <laughs> We've touched on it. I don't know if we've completely done it. I know one podcast I've talked about doing and we haven't done it. And now it's really being set up in a timely fashion is losing a legend, you know, losing a favorite player. Uh, And I've gotten a lot of tweets and emails about it with personal stories. Obviously, now you could throw Jacob DeGrom in it and you could throw Brandon Nimmo in it. You know, Brandon Nimmo, while I may have never connected with him as a I love Brandon Nimmo, never disliked Brandon Nimmo, but he's not my favorite player in the world. Brandon Nimmo is a guy who was drafted out of high school a decade ago. A guy we heard about from the beginning. Like in 2011, when he was drafted, we heard heard all about him. 
So for the five years before he ever got here, we knew who he was. And then we watched him develop in 16 and 17 and break through in 2018 and then not be able to stay healthy in 19 and 21. And then obviously last year was really it all coming together for him. Uh, a year in which he stayed healthy, a year in which he was an engine in this order. And he's a long Met. He's a long-term Met. So I know for a lot of people, maybe not a ton of people, but for some people, losing Brandon Nimmo would be would fit right in. He'd fit right in with losing Edgardo Alfonso or losing Mookie Wilson or losing Mike Piazza, which we did because the Mets could have kept him, could have caught in 2006. But that's for another episode. That's for a time in which things calm down. Because right now there's too much going on. But we will get to that at some point. Uh, Right now, though, it's who replaces Bassett or is it Bassett? And do they keep Brandon Nemo? One thing I don't know, I do think we're going to get an answer quick on the pitcher. I do. I think maybe even before this is posted, <laughs> this may be, this podcast may be freaking timed out. So we better end it and just post it now. Nah, but I think the Nimmo thing is going to take a while and that sucks. That, that's not ideal. I think we would like to know if the leadoff hitter, if the center fielder, if the engine comes back, but it does give us more times, more time to come up with backup plans. So I'll work on that. And the next time we're together for the Sunday night edition of Rico, I'm not saying it'll be the focus, but I will present a handful of backup plans if they don't keep Brandon Nemo. But either way, very uh, busy couple of days at the winter meetings. Uh, and off we go. You can email the podcast anytime, thericob at gmail.com. You can obviously tweet at us, at Evan Roberts WFAN, at the Hoff WFAN. Is that your you name? nailed it. Yeah, you nailed it. Thank you. Pete's taking a lot of crap on Twitter because, and you got a little bit of a preview it tonight, a preview of it here, and we'll go more into it as the pod goes on over the next few weeks. Pete's a very negative guy right now. Does not like anything about this franchise. In fact, I heard a rumor. His wife told me. His uh, wife told me in the middle of the night, in his sleep, he was, "I miss you, Wilpon. I miss you, Wilpon. Please come back, Jeff." I miss you, Wilpon. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's a claim I heard from your significant other, Pete. So you tell I, that, me. That's, I, think she, I think that's false. Uh, I would never <laughs> ask for them back. However, you're right. I am, I am not a little salty right now with this team because I don't know the direction. It makes me very concerned, and I haven't felt that way in over two years with this franchise. Just to be well, fair. I respect you. I know you're a great fan. I think you're very wrong. But here's the beauty of the Rico Bronia. We'll have a lot of time to debate it over the next few weeks and months. And maybe at some point you'll convince me and I'll become super negative. Or maybe I'll convince you and you'll put a smile on your face. But either way, we appreciate you listening. You can check out Pete with Tiki and Tierney, 10 a.m. on the fan. Obviously, me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.